Good morning. God bless you and thank you so much for being with us again today. Here we are. Now listen, this is amazing. We are already on step number 17. I, I, I don't know how we can get finished in only the ones we have remaining. But today we're going to add an element to our, to our package of success, to our steps that's going to make a big difference. I'm hoping that this helps create a little perspective and just a little bit of um, um, relaxation, a little bit of trust, a little bit of that patient walk that we have with God, knowing that God's really in charge. You can afford to let God be in charge. You can afford to let him drive. You can afford to let him do things in his timing. And today we're going to add an element that, that perhaps... Um, if you're not real watchful, you can miss this one and you can mistake it in others. Now, you know, thus far what we've been doing, we've been taking the life of Joseph and we have divided the life of Joseph into 30 steps. We could have divided it into 60 steps, but we tried to convince it, uh, condense it and, and bring it down into 30 steps. And these 30 steps represent elements of life that Joseph used very plain and evident in his life, in order to take him from the place where he was to the place where God wanted him to be. And the very first thing that we saw in Joseph's life, in fact, when God introduces us to Joseph as a real person, as an individual character, he introduces us to him as a young boy with a dream. God gives him a dream. And the dream is basically that one day his family is going to come to the place where they are bowing down before him. And he is, uh, evidently, he has something that they need. He, he may not understand this dream fully. He begins to think on it. And, and after thinking on it a little bit, he begins to tell his, his family about it. Now, they don't like it. And that begins to cause him some trouble. But he, after declaring his dream, that's what made him launch out on this pursuit. You know, God uses different things to launch us out into life. You might remember in Acts Whenever Stephen was stoned, the Bible says basically and gives us indication that that's what God used to launch the church out. Because up until that time, they were kind of, you know, isolated and they were kind of uh, uh, relegated just to Jerusalem. But, but at the stoning of Stephen, people were dispersed abroad and the gospel went everywhere. You know, God uses things to launch us out. Well, he used the declaration First the dream, then he meditated, and then when he began to declare his dream, that's when Joseph was launched out on this greatest adventure of his life, taking him to destiny. He owned the vision. He said, yes, God. That's what happened to Mary. Whenever God told Mary, when he unleashed her imagination and, and, and sent an angel to her and told her, you're going to be the mother of the Messiah. My goodness, she didn't know what to think. That was a vision, a dream, a purpose beyond her imagination. And she said, how can this be? And she considered it. She and the angel talked about it. And then after just a moment, she said, okay, be it unto me according to your word. She made that declaration. She made that expression. She owned it. She embraced it. She said yes to it. And that started a brand new adventure for her. You know, it almost caught her, her, her fiance. I'm, there's, there's no telling what all the people in her community thought about her as a result of her being an, 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 an evidently unwed pregnant woman in that, in, in, in that community and in that day. That was not a popular thing. And nonetheless, it started her. 
as she declared, it started her on her adventure with God. That's what happened to Joseph. And Joseph, for the rest of his life, begins to to express certain elements that no doubt God is working in Joseph during this process of his life to bring him to the place where the dream is fulfilled. Habakkuk says, write the vision upon the table and make it plain so that he that sees it can run with it. What's he talking about? He is talking about embracing, making a declaration. He's talking about uh, uh, expressing the vision of God, the purpose of God. There's purpose, there's plans, and then there's pursuit. And in the pursuit, we continue to add elements to our lives. Some of the elements that we add, of course, that are very important, relationship. You remember how important it is? Because it's, it's not what you know that gets you where you need to be. It's who you know. Now, please don't struggle against that. Think about it. It's not what you know that gets you into heaven. You can know everything about God. You can be a religious scholar. You can have a doctorate in theology. You can, you, you know, you could be a, a, a professor of religion for 50 years and know more about God than, but if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That doesn't get you eternal life. You see, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Doors are opened by relationships, and that's the way it is. That's why we need to protect and preserve and make relationships, because most likely who you know is going to give you a chance to show what you know, and that's the way it works in life. Just realize it and pay attention to relationships. Joseph made relationships. Also, he was, he was very active in presenting himself right. What made him a deal on the auction block? You know, many people in his situation, young men, would have just been cowering down and depressed, would have been sitting over in some corner. But evidently, he presented himself as the type of man that Potiphar, a very wealthy and influential man, wanted to bring to his home to buy him as a slave so that he could manage all of his affairs. The jailer chose him to be chief steward over a very important portion of the jail. And Pharaoh chose him to be leader, second in command of the whole known world at that time. Why? Most likely it was because Joseph paid attention to how he presented himself, how he made his first impressions. First impressions are lasting impressions. And the problem with the first impression is you only get a chance to make it one time. Pay attention to yourselves. Pay attention as to how you present yourselves in new situations. Joseph evidently did. Then we talked about participation, how important it is to participate. Sometimes when things don't go our way, we just want to fold our arms and say, well, we're not playing. We're not, I mean, I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. No, no. Participation is a key. God demands we participate in our miracle. We don't just sit around because we're sad, because we're mad, because we've been done wrong, falsely accused, wrongfully imprisoned. We have to participate. Joseph participated. He said, okay to the trusteeship. He said, okay, I'll manage your house, Potiphar. He he is participating, but yet he's also a man of character. He would not compromise his integrity and compromise his character, even though it cost him with Potiphar's wife. He would not compromise and sin. He also was a humble man, a man with endurance, a kind man who had time to stop by other prisoners and say, my, you look sad today. You okay? Kindness, and by him showing kindness, and by him being candid and honest, responsibly honest, those things opened up doors for his success. He was faithful. 
He was flexible. You know, it takes a lot of flexibility to blossom where you're planted, especially when you're planted in the pit and in a prison and in a palace. Different scenarios. He was flexible. He just, he could go with the flow. You have to be, you have to be flexible. If you're not flexible, if you don't bend, you will break. Okay, that's just the way it works. In fact, we have a man in our church that makes stair rails, uh, 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 rails, and uh, in fact, probably watching this morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Uh, and 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 he 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 bends wood. I'm amazed. And in fact, in he bends wood into rails, and he says he has to soak this wood a long, 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 long time. He says that wet wood won't hardly break. You know, dry wood will. And that's the key. If you can be filled with the Spirit of God, if you can have the oil of God rubbed into you, you know, it's like that wine skin. It's flexible. Without the rubbing of the oil in that old wine skin, then you put new wine in it and it bursts. You have to be flexible and pliable. And that comes with a good soaking of the Holy Ghost, a good soaking of your life in the washing of the water of the pure Word of God. And also, we need to be people who understand influence. We need to have a perspective we need to have confidence. And today we're adding this element to our life. An element called meekness. Meekness! But listen, don't, don't mistake meekness for weakness. Many people do. Many people mistake your meekness for weakness. You may remember, by the way, that in Numbers, the 12th chapter, and in verse 3, the Bible says that, that now the man Moses was very meek, it says, above all the men which were upon the face of the earth, okay? Have you ever read that, that Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth? Yes, he was. That's written in the book of Numbers. I believe that. Do you believe that? I believe that. Who wrote that? Who wrote the book of Numbers? Moses did. Now, hold on. You mean Moses is the guy that wrote, I am the meekest man on the face of the earth? Yes. Doesn't that seem just a little bit strange to you and me? It might. But the fact of the matter is maybe we have misunderstood meekness. Maybe we have misunderstood meekness to be weakness or cowardice. Or maybe that meekness comes out of a person who doesn't think much about themselves. Maybe they have a poor self-image and that leads to meekness. No. It doesn't take a poor self-image to be meek. It does not take a poor self-image to be mild, to have a quiet and a gentle spirit, to be able to touch things with a light hand, the lightest hand necessary, to be able to, to, to allow others at times to have advantage. You know, people cannot take advantage of you if you give them advantage. You know that? And most often, people who are meek, it appears that people, other people, try to take advantage of them over and over and over. When people would come against Moses, for example, Moses often would fall on his face and he would pray for them. He would just pray for them. And to them, most likely, it looked like he's a coward. He doesn't have any gumption. But my goodness, don't mistake that. That man can stand up and command the earth to open up and to swallow thousands of people he could part the red sea he by the authority of god could could call frogs and flies and locusts and and this man was not a man who was weak or lacked power or lacked resolve he was not a man who who who, who lacked any of the strength that we would associate with somebody god would call he was decisive he was even aggressive when necessary. He was certainly determined. However, with all of that, he found one of the keys to success was a quiet 
and a peaceable and a gentle spirit called meekness. Such was the case with Joseph. In fact, in Genesis, the 40th chapter in verse 4, it says, And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, with the king's prisoners, and he served them. So they were in custody for a while. Joseph served them. He served them. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, if you want to truly be successful, if you want God to promote you, then you must understand the element of meekness, the element of perhaps appearing to others as though they have the upper hand, as though they are the important ones, as though they are the ones that this is all about, and that things in your life are not as important as things in their life. To not be so aggressive, to not be so assertive, to not be so upfront that you end up overbearing, but rather meek. The Bible talks about a quiet and a gentle spirit. In fact, another scripture says, Thy gentleness hath made me great. It's the gentleness of our spirit, the willingness to serve, the willingness to appear to others that perhaps we're weak, perhaps we're not stronger than they are. But realize that if you develop a meek spirit, God will honor you. Why? Because the meek will inherit the earth. The meek are inheritors. Those people who can present themselves in their community as, as non-dictatorial, not one of those people that always going to, you know, uh, write the newspaper about this and always boiling, you know, but people who are meek, who, who roll things over into God's hand, who wait for God to speak, who are not so strongly opinionated that other people are afraid to approach them with anything, but people who actually have a gentle spirit, who wait, who listen, who try to understand, who allow others to have feelings, and yet they don't react with anger, with resentment, with bitterness. Here Joseph just served. Don't you know he had a story that he could tell? Don't you know that he could have been one that expressed all of his frustrations all of the time and all of his angers? He could have been somebody who was so, so uh, you know, uh, uh, tense and so uh, bowed up against the things. But meek people, meek people, the Bible says, are the inheritors of the earth. Don't be surprised when people mistake your weakness for meekness. Several years ago, in our church, there was a large international corporation that was attempting to uh, bully our church and to keep us from building the building that right now we have built or keep us from occupying the building if we built it. And this was a very formidable co uh, company. They did not want us to own the land that we presently own. We bought it. They found out we bought it. And because they had owned some land close to it, they did not want us to develop it for church purposes. They wanted to protect their right to develop industrially uh, around. And so they got rather aggressive and got rather mean and they got rather nasty. And, and they, they even sent attorneys from Chicago masquerading as preachers uh, and, uh, uh, and, and came down and sat in my office and tried, you know, everything they could. And when they could, uh, and we would listen, we'd be kind. And we would just ask, well, won't you please just not bully us? Won't you please just not bully us? You know, well, won't you please just not bully us? And they just kept on and kept on. And we 
we knew all the time that we had all the cards in our hand. We knew it all the time. For two or three years, we knew that not only was God for us, but we knew some physical information that, that would make them cry uncle if we ever pulled it out. We just didn't want to appear to be strong and dictatorial and not a good neighbor. So we sat for a couple of years letting them be mean to us, and we put our building project on hold. And we just sat here and sat here and sat here. And finally one morning when the Lord spoke to me and told me it was time to go ahead and make some decisions and go some certain directions, uh, I called them one last time and had them uh, send their their attorneys back. And in my office I said this to them. I said, "Uh, uh, listen, would you please... Would you please just stop being mean to us? And they said, no way. You know, basically, my paraphrase, no way. We're big and you're little and we're going to squash you. Why don't you just understand and give up? I said, you're making a critical mistake. You have mistaken our meekness for weakness. You've mistaken our kindness for a lack of resolve. Now, we're going to go ahead and complete this matter. So we sued them for $10,800,000,000. And when they found out what we found out, they asked, well, what would you take to let us go? Just what would, what would it cost for you to let us go? Just, 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 just I mean, what, what would you take? I said, well, basically, by 8 o'clock in the morning, you have a, you know, a check in my office for $176,000 because we owed some attorney's fees. And, and, uh, and as well, I thought it was reasonable that they give us that 100000 bucks to go in our pocket. And they said, okay. They had a check and a letter saying that you're not going to bother us anymore. Oh, sure. Here, 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 Pastor. What else would you like? No, that kind of thing. You can afford to be meek and kind and gentle when God is promoting your success. You don't have to be aggressive. But at times, you do have to go ahead and play your cards. But play them like Moses did, with a meek hand. Let God be God. Don't act like you are. Amen? Let's make our Bible confession this morning. You know, God calls greatness from obscurity. He does. From the backside of the desert, from tending a few sheep, or from prison in a foreign land, God calls greatness from obscurity. The meek shall inherit the earth. You're safe in the hands of God. Let's make this confession this morning. Through Jesus, my Lord, I am more than a conqueror. I have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God. My spiritual eyes are being opened so that I can understand my calling, the wealth of my inheritance, and the kingdom power available to me. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. No unclean or impure thought can captivate my mind. No sickness or disease has a right to my body. No unholy spirits can seduce or deceive me. The word of God is my meditation and my answer. I commit myself to God. He causes my thoughts to become agreeable with his thoughts. Because of this, everything I put my hand to will prosper. God has a plan for my life. He will succeed, and I am going to participate. Work meekness into your life. Work meekness into your life. You see, if you can practice, even though you have the trump card, practice allowing other people to make the right decisions without you coercing or forcing them. The meek shall inherit the earth. God bless you.